Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Do you want to maybe come up with some ideas for um, how to get better at improv, but also not be like so anxious about, um, you know, improving at the table? Yeah, I I thought I was going to be some saying something right here about how I was feeling anxious, but apparently I'm just going to agree with you this morning. In which case, cue music. Cue music. <laughs> Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts who has struggled with anxiety for a good portion of his life, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda, who has also struggled with anxiety. (sighs) Haven't we all, uh, maybe not all of us, many of us, many of us indeed. Anyway, we could uh, could do like the Too Anxious GM podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, it could be like two with a parenthesis around the last, like it could be a, like with a parenthesis and we could have both spellings like O-O and right. like T-W-O. So it could be T-W-O parenthesis, like T parenthesis W parenthesis O parenthesis O parenthesis. Yeah. Two or two. Right. Anxious. Yeah. That's too anxious. Yeah. That's hilarious. We could. We could just rename this show that, probably. We could. We I, like, I like pandas, and pandas are adorable, so. <laughs> we don't need to make a whole new show for it. Anyway. Anyway, anyway we have a topic. right along. We sure do. Um, so, today's topic came to us from Axel, who sent us an email. Thank you very much. Um, the email reads, Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Uh, thanks a lot for that last episode. I don't actually remember which episode it was, but you're welcome. It was uh, definitely not the last episode. It wasn't but, actually the last one. So if you're looking for the one that led to this, it was it was some episodes ago. We don't remember which number, right? But uh, first, to Phil for pointing out or rather ranting about that improv versus prepped is not a switch, but a ruler. And second to Senda for saying she switched, haha, yes, um, to improv because she felt anxiety for fear or f- of forgetting something important when prepping. I already observed this before, but hearing Senda talk about that made me realize that this is exactly what happens to me on game night. So thanks a lot for that revelation. I, I have big feel. This is Senda speaking now. I'm not reading right just for a moment. I have such big feels about this because um, I do think that we get told there's two ways to GM. We've talked about this before in the spectrum, right? But like you're either an improv GM or you're like a prep GM and like ne'er the twain shall meet. And a lot of people think that they're trying to be prepped GMs and then just carrying a lot of anxiety. You know, that, that was me. That was how I started. That's why it didn't work for me. Anyway. Moving right along, back to the note. Um, At the moment, I'm running a series of short published adventures, which thanks to your help, I know how to connect. It is a lot of fun, but at the table, I do feel anxious most of the time. Anxious to forget things, anxious to find the right words, anxious to inject the right atmosphere into my descriptions, anxious to portray NPCs in a memorable fashion. This anxiety means that I'm really tense before game night and pretty exhausted in the days after. I wonder if I could dampen my anxiety with more improv skills. 
On the other hand, I like playing and connecting these short published adventures, which don't allow for that much deviation from the main storyline. So how do I become better at improv playing rather than rigid storylines? And do you know other techniques for handling this kind of anxiety during game night? Love your show, Axel. Thanks, Axel. Yes, thank you, Axel. So before we get further into the topic, we talk about this at the end of every episode and absolutely mean it, right? Where Axel's saying here that they're anxious before they start playing and then exhausted after they stop playing, that's where we want to make things better for all of you, right? We don't want you to be anxious before you have to run. Um, and we definitely don't want you to be drained after you run. We want you to be energized, right? So yes. this is exactly what we're here for, right? We couldn't be more spot on for today's um, question. So when I started prepping the notes for this, I realized we had a lot to say about this. So this is going to be a two-parter. Um, today's part, part one, we are going to just talk about um, how to become better at improv. And we're going to talk about it in terms of like not totally jumping in the deep end, but like how to prep improv and um, how to kind of work the table a little. And we're going to do it with a little bit of a lens on the anxiety part. Anxiety and recall are going to be kind of the lens we're going to look at some of this information through. Yeah. And if you just want to hear us talk about getting better at improv and practicing those skills, I have to go look up the actual episode number. So I'll put it in the show notes. But we have uh, uh, an episode uh, a ways back. It's worth revisiting, right? But a ways back that is specifically just improving your improv. Yeah. Um, so that is also out there if you don't want it through this particular lens. I personally think this lens is very interesting because it matches a lot with my personal experience. Yeah, mine too, actually. And yeah. There's going to be some overlap between that previous episode and this one because some of our advice is when it comes to improv has not changed over time. Some right. of it, as uh, as we'll get into our discussion here, um, is got kind of a little unique bend to it. So um, I think you'll find some use for it. Uh, I think we have a good discussion around it. Now, the following week, we will talk about um, managing anxiety while running a game. Right. We'll talk yeah. a lot more about the anxiety part of game mastering um, because it can happen at your home table. Um, it can definitely happen when you do like conventions and things like that. And you're playing with people you don't know. Uh, and Oh, heck yeah. Right. And so <laughs> uh, it, can, it can happen. Um, it can even happen with an established group. There are times where I sometimes get nervous with my group that I've had forever, yeah. um, you know, because maybe it's a certain type of game or it's the, you know, penultimate episode of that game, whatever. So we'll talk about, we're going to talk about anxiety in the little anxiety and GMing in a little broader terms next week. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So today, as Phil said, we're going to specifically zoom on talking about um, improv with the focus on recall issues and, and using it to solve for those issues and, um, and then the anxiety perspective, right? And some tips for managing improv at your table from that lens also. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. So um, first thing, right, when it comes to improv skills, this is probably the most important thing. It is a skill. Yeah. Right. And skills can be improved. I, they can be practiced. 
yes, they can be practiced and they can be improved. So the first thing you need to dispel is that improv GMs are not some sort of special talent. Like they don't have some sort of X factor that makes them great improv GMs. They have a skill and they are good at it. Some people start that skill like like with a higher number than others, but it is a skill. So it can be improved. Yeah. Now, <laughs> there's only really one way to improve this skill. Yeah. <laughs> you have to use it. You do have to actually practice it. Yeah. yeah. And and the funny thing is, I think a lot of us running around who are just like, I'm an improv GM. Um, we had a, a leg up based on some personal history somewhere that made improving easier for us sure. from a GMing perspective. Me, I've been in theater since I was like seven, right? And I've never been an actor. That's the other funny thing, right? I was never an actor. I was, I, okay, that's a lie. I, I did do acting when I was a kid, but like as an adult, I've never been an actor. But you can't be steeped in that like as a college major and not have to a take improv classes having also taken improv classes before for all of those other times you have to play improv games you do that you, you just do that right but even when you're going to go on stage for a show that you have lines memorized for the thing that actors do behind the stage that you may not see as an audience member to warm up to get on that stage is, you know, a bunch of things to get their mouths and voices warmed up and also a bunch of improv games, right? Like the games that you do to make sure you're in the headspace to go act out something even that is prepped and pre-written are still improv games. Sure. I will tell you as a grad student in the sciences, um, you don't get a lot of improv theater experience, yeah. but um, there is a um, academic fight club that is called the journal club uh, where um, you present um, journal articles that you've read and then people pepper you with questions and you have to stand there and just answer those questions on the fly. And so you get very good at, um, you know, keeping your composure and thinking on your feet and coming up with hypotheses and, you know, answering questions and having to recall things about the paper and stuff like that. Right. So that sounds like a nightmare to me. Oh, journal <laughs> the club recall is part, the recall part. Sure. Journal club <laughs> is a rough, um, like I said, it's the fight club of, of the sciences. Like, um, and you, you purposely, like you go in, it's like a prepared adventure, right? Cause you had to read somebody else's paper. So you didn't do that work. And, yeah. um, you need to be able to recall it. You need to be able to present it. And then everybody just like starts kicking at it. Right. And then you need to defend it or, mm -hmm. or help them kick at it. Mm -hmm. um, but you're the point person for it. So it, it's delightful. It's an anxiety ridden, um, <laughs> it's an anxiety written mess. Um, I it was not a huge fan of journal club. That okay. sounds miserable. And yeah. maybe there are other journal clubs in other grads in other grad programs where people were like really congenial and cordial to one another. Mine was really like Fight Club. Like it was <laughs> it was not meant to be fun. Um it was rough and there were people posturing and asking hard questions to look smart and all those things. Like I don't know. If you went through grad school and you went through the sciences, um, share your experiences with Journal Club. Anyway, the point is, at some point or another, we all start to pick up the ability to improv, right? To think to think on our feet. Um, but also, you can improve it by actually working it. And we don't say that lightly, right? Because especially if your uh, anxiety 
uh, about improv, like if you have anxiety about improv, then it's going to like, you have to overcome that in order to improve your improv. And I absolutely ran into this when I wanted to learn how to be an improv GM. I had a lot of anxiety about being an improv GM and um, I had to go through it. Right. And it was rough and it was not fun. And there are ways we'll talk about in next week's episode. There are ways to kind of mitigate that. Yeah, I think the, the one last thing that I will say to kind of wrap up this piece so we can move on is that um, there are uh, (laughs) there's diving into the deep end of staying cool and thinking on your feet, which sounds like your journal club experience. And there are like dipping your toe in the kiddie pool versions of getting into that practice. And you can pick the one that is right for you. Um, (laughs) You do not have to jump straight into that deep end. You are not obliged. This is supposed to be fun. Um, And we're going to talk about that. Like we're going to talk about how to mitigate some of that anxiety so that you can uh, get into that. And we'll, we'll do a lot of that next week. We'll do a lot of it next week. Um, what we're going to do a lot of, I think today from a skill building perspective is focus first, um, on setting yourself up for success. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I just really wanted to get to, because I love being able to say this all the time, is that um, if you are the kind of person for whom a book will help you, and this book is not really a standard sit down and read all the instructions book, right? Um, The book Improv for Gamers by Karen Twelves, the second edition is out. Go check it out. The book has good information in it, both about improving and in relating improv specifically to your tabletop role playing games, both as a character and as a GM. And most of the book is fun, silly little games that are ways that you can um, practice improvising with the people at your table in really low stakes circumstances where like things don't have to make sense because the way that you practice improv is things don't have to make sense. They don't have to connect. You say the first thing that comes out of your head and there is no wrong answer, right? So those are kind of the, the, when you're just playing a game, an improv game like that, you just spit the first thing out that comes Mm -hmm. to you. And that's one of the ways to keep it really low stakes. Anyway, the the long story short is you should probably check out the book um, Improv for Gamers by Karen Twelves. Um, It's just full of fun little exercises. Uh, She got it really narrowed in on the ones that help the most with the specific set of skills that we use at the game table versus the very broad, like improvising in general, right? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, It's great. Great endorsement. Yeah. (laughs) Great endorsement. Absolutely true. Perfect. Okay, cool. So that's skill building, right? You can just like one of the things you need to do is work on your improv skill. The next one that I think is critical, and I have actually written an article years ago about this uh, on Gnome Stew, is you need to feed your brain. Um, Improv is at a lot. I don't want to say at its core, but a lot of improv is about pattern matching, right? Someone has done something and you need to respond to that. I would say a lot of improv, the way that we use it in tabletop RPGs is pattern matching. That's fine. I'm going to make it more specific. That's totally fine. <laughs> Go for I it. have very little, I have very <laughs> little experience with it outside of, uh, of that. So I will take your word for it. Awesome. Okay. So if you think about it, when we're playing a role playing game, right? As a GM, you are either putting something down and somebody is building off of it or, or, not even or. And then when they put something down, you need to build off of that, right? We go, it's a back and forth. 
Okay. Yeah. So, a conversation as Powered by the Apocalypse would tell you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of things you need to have in your repertoire for just that, right? And this is this is true. <laughs> this is true for just role playing in general, but it's I think even emphasized when you are um when you are doing improv because you're not relying on something written in front of you, you are relying on your brain to put this together as you go. So you need to know um knowledge of story structures, right? You just, you need, and you need, you don't need to be scholarly about it, but you need a working knowledge of how story structures work. Consume a lot of books, watch a lot of TV shows, watch a bunch of movies, right? Not not any one of them is better than another for role-playing game. Go, oh, and go listen to actual plays. Um, Yes. Because those are actually good ones. Yeah, go go listen to good actual (laughs) plays. Um, All of those are going to uh, teach you by way of telling you a story. They're going to show you the structures and pay attention to the structures. How are things introduced? How are characters introduced? Problems introduced? How are things um, put down early so they can be called back later? Like start to see those things in the media that you're watching and just watch media that you like. Like you don't have to go watch anything um, super special. Just consume stuff, consume stuff you like, but start looking at it with an eye to story structure. Yeah, the one thing I just wanted to add to that is it's really okay if you just consume a lot of media and it becomes sort of instinctual how to construct from that media. Um, You don't have to be someone who um, takes apart story um, by its actual structure, right? You can be, you can investigate that and explore that and, and decide that that is something really cool that you want to dig into the story structure and how to create that stuff and know all of that minutia, but you don't actually have to be, right? It is okay for you to just absorb, you know, so much of how we societally tell stories that it becomes a thing that you can do without thinking about it too hard. Yeah, works great. Like I said, if you just consume a lot of stuff, you will start to see patterns and all those things. Yeah. Um, okay, good. Uh, so another thing that I will say, and this is useful to me as a GM in general, is that yeah. I am a big fan of uh, describing things with an eye towards TV and movie direction. I like to describe my things like like I have a camera, right? Yeah. So... I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid. I like to joke that I was raised by a pack of wild TVs. So I often describe scenes in terms that movie cameras use, like pan and zoom. And, you know, I have, you know, um, shots that like, you know, come over the ridge with sunlight and lens flares and things like that. But that's how I see my games, right? So um, I just use that consumption of media to help me with that. Okay. The other thing that we were going to use to feed up your brain, right, is genres, right? Yeah. The better you know the genre that you are playing in, the easier it is for you to improv that genre. So this is the reason that I personally only run games in very specific genres, but I'll play games in lots of genres that I won't run them in, right? I just have to throw that out there. Like the games that I will play are very broad genre wise. The games that I will run are much more limited because I will only run games and genres that I feel super comfortable improving a story in that particular genre. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 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 So the better you know the genre, the more you're going to understand the tropes and conventions of that genre. Yeah. Right there. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, if you are a fan of horror movies, then you know the tropes and 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 conventions of horror movies, right? You know, like, oh, that person's going to get killed, right? Or, you know, oh, that, you know, the monster's clearly like, you know, underneath the water, you know, that kind of thing. And if you know for fantasy, if you know for sci-fi, cyberpunk, whatever the genre is, um, if you are if you are consuming that media, you are filling your head with those tropes and conventions. Yeah, um, I can run a shoujo game, like no yeah, problem. <laughs> I, I can run an action movie, right? Like right. I love action great. movies or police yeah. procedurals. I can run police procedurals like nobody's business because my head is full of media. So the better you know the genre, right? The better you're going to be able to pull chunks out from things that you've seen and use them in your in your game i also will recommend again set a timer before you click on the web link but go to tvtropes.com <laughs> and uh look around and learn some of the genre like learn some of the tropes there are things that you might not realize are tropes of that genre um or just tropes in general and when you you know go and analyze like your favorite show on tv tropes you'll be like oh didn't realize that trope had a name well it does like yeah, just to be clear, that timer is your lifeline. Like, you know, if you're having an extra body experience and you like tether your soul back to something, that's that that timer is your lifeline back to reality. So <laughs> Yeah, if you rabbit hole, like you will rabbit hole on that site. I I get very click happy when I when I get onto that site. So I, you know, like to have a um, I like to have a lifeline to get back out. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, sorry, moving on from that strange analogy. Thanks, brain. Um, so the next thing that we're going to look at for a few improv activities um, is, is how to determine what your needs are to accomplish them and how you can prep for that improv. And I know that that's a weird sentence because now we're telling you to prep for improvising. Um, but we are talking about tabletop games and that's, it, it, it's a spectrum, right? We've said it before. We'll say it again. Um, so improv is about acting and reacting with a giant helping of listening, right? Um, which, just to be clear, listening and hearing what the people are saying at your table is also a skill that you can practice, and it is a large part of improv. Um, the key being that if you're letting yourself think too hard and get ahead of what people are saying, then you're not actually listening to what they're saying, and you're making decisions that may or may not make sense with what they actually tell you in that next moment, right? So make sure that you are listening and think about that um, specifically also because they'll tell you it's like love lettering right they will tell you things as long as you are listening um, but it is also about taking an action having a reaction um, and then reacting to the reaction etc right like to feed each other right both putting the energy out there something is out there you react to it and then back and forth right so if you're improvising a game you're often trying to both improvise and also guide the story in a direction that you had planned for, right? So this could be that you have a plot that you're trying to get to a certain place, or you may just be, and I do this a lot because in one shots, it's really easy because it doesn't matter if you get to a specific place or not, right? Like you could just sit down and people ask you things and then you just do things and you, you, you maybe you don't have a specific place you're headed for, right? 
that's also fine. Um, yes. Do you want to jump in about using a plot? Sure. Right. So if you are, um, so if you're going to be using a plot now, this is my like preferred meth- method, right? I'm, I'm fully capable of doing free form, but I, I like a good plot and I actually like writing plots for, for games, but I like it a lot more now where I have, you know, this like 60, 40 improv yeah. to non-improv, right? Yeah, Mix. Yeah, yeah. And so what I want to, what I want to say here is when you want to make the shift to doing some improv gaming, you also have to kind of make the mental shift of how plots work for improv, right? Yes. Like they are not antithetical to improv. They, there is a place for plots to work with an improv frame of mind. And the idea is what, what you want to move from is plots being these intricate things with specific scenes, encounters, and, you know, like, Um, detailed explanations for how you do this to get to this, to do that, to get to that, you know, all the way to the end of the plot. And what you want to do is change that up to being a bunch of questions. And we'll get into this with a little bit of an example here, right? So uh, let's do a, uh, let's make up an adventure right now. Um, Our overall plot, right, is going to be um, for our story that we're going to tell at the table is stopping a cult from a midnight ritual. Sure. Sure. That sounds pretty standard. Pretty standard, right? Again, (laughs) if you're familiar with, you know, if you're familiar with um, eldritch um, tropes and things like that, midnight ritual and occult seems very tropey. And it is. Here we are. Yeah. Okay. So if I was doing the full prep way, right, if I was writing this out as a published adventure or if I was um, just doing full prep like the old days, right, I would have... um, a whole bunch of encounters, right, for how the players discover what's going on, you know, the inciting incident, how they're going to, um, how and what clues they're going to acquire in order to discover who this cult is and what they're up to, and then some other encounters that, like, happen during the way, and then encounter, 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 all the way till the set-piece encounter where they have to stop the cultist from um, initiating the ritual. Yep. Okay. Pretty standard. Yes. Have written many of them in my life. Yes. Okay. But as you think of these things with an improv mind, we start to change this from detailed encounters to questions that scenes will answer. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, yes. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to set up scenes to answer specific questions, and these questions will be what leads us through the plot. So... Um, would you like to um, do the improv prep approach for our stopping a cult from the midnight ritual? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although hilariously, it's still maybe more detailed than I get for a one shot that doesn't have to be complete. But I've played your games where you've run them exactly like this and I really enjoy them, sure. right? So the the key piece, and this is the piece that I always actually spend my personal prep time on, so this part is really important, right? Is you have to have an inciting incident. That's key because otherwise no one knows what they're doing. Yeah, so you, you got to yeah. push, you got to like, you have to give the cart a push. 
Right. Something has to be happening or Just. there's no reason for anyone to take any action. Um, right. So why would they do anything if nothing is going on? Then they won't is the answer. So for this example, let's say that our inciting incident is that um, a body with mysterious markings carved into it is found in the town square in the wee hours just before dawn. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Creepiness. Um, so there's a bunch of questions that the players are going to have to answer to get to the bottom of this, right? And this is where we get to each one of these is a potential scene that gets you to the next point, right? How do they discover what the markings mean? How do they discover that those markings are part of the cult of dreadful dreaming? That's so very eldritch. I like it. <laughs> I, was, I was inspired by Snezak as I was... Writing as this. you were writing, um, yeah. were you having a public access moment? No, just like you know, Sneezak in general, like he's just, just, you just know, this, in is, general. this is his vibe. This sure. is his vibe. Cool. All right. Um, how do the characters discover the ritual that the cult is preparing? How are they going to figure it out? What does the cult do to try to stop them? Because they're going to do something, um, which is probably dependent on how the characters discover all this other stuff, right? It will be now. It will be now. <laughs> um, how do the characters handle the monster under the bridge on the way to the ritual site? Mm. How will they? Um, how do the characters stop the cult and the ritual? Yeah. So you can see that like this, there's an outline of a plot here, right? Yeah. But what we've not done is we've not pinned down how any of these things happen or what the characters need to do or how they need to do it that kind of thing right we've not we've not put that upon this prep right we we say like how will the characters discover that the mark is a part of the cult of dreadful dreaming right so we know it's the cult of dreadful dreaming but yeah. what we need is like we have the body right we have our inciting incident we have the markings we will then in the scene turn to the players and let them come up with ideas on how they might solve this. And then what we'll do, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I think next week, but what you would do then is then use your knowledge of the game to determine like what rules you have to engage as the players describe how they want to do it. Maybe they want to do a library search. Maybe they want to go talk to uh, the weird old man in the, you know, creepy house up on the hill. Like it doesn't matter, right? The end point is they're going to do some work and they're going to get the information about the cult of dreadful dreaming and improv is what happens in between. In right? the middle. Yes. Yeah. Improv. Yes. So it is inciting incident question improv answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's the that's, that's the formula. The flow. And, yeah. and sometimes the question is there's a body in the square. It's covered with, you know, sigils carved into it that have, you know, clearly scabbed over or whatever. Um, and, and the question might be, what do you do? But also the question could be, how are you going to figure out what these mean, right? And so depending yeah. on how much you're going to lead people along that plot line or how free you're going to let them be, you can be more leading with your questions or you can be less leading with your questions. Um, yeah. So that's, that, that is a whole other potential discussion. We've talked about um, leading questions before, but it's been years. <laughs> so. Yeah, 
And, you know, <laughs> and how open you leave the question is how much improv you are leaving in the yeah. middle for them to do. Yeah. I yeah. really like to make these questions super open. Yep. But if you needed to for time's sake, or if people are like, uh, I don't know what we do, and then you need to get it more specific to help them along, all of these things are tools in your toolbox and just in the way that you ask the question, right? Yeah. Okay. So that is, right? So, so that is now looking at plots for RPGs with an eye for improv. And you've heard me talk about this in different ways before. This is um, like the Vincent Baker's advice from Dogs in the Vineyard, right? Create problems, um, don't create solutions, right? Yeah. Give the players the opportunity to create solutions and your job is to improv with them as they come up with their solution. Yeah. Okay. So cool. Now, if we were a high improv GM, right? So let's just make an arbitrary scale of one to 10, 10 being I improv everything. And one is I read every, I read all the box text from the, from the adventure. Okay. Sure. Sure. <laughs> all right. So on a scale of one to 10, right? If you're like a nine or 10, these questions that we talked about might be the whole prep that you need, right? An index card, post-it note or something like that. You have heard the myths and legends of these types of GMs who just write a few things on a scrap of paper and go off and run their game. That's a nine to 10 improv GM. This is all they need. They'll work the rest of it out. Right? Hi. <laughs> sure. Now, I mean, look, some games make this even easier. Yes. Um, I could do this with very little effort for a PBTA game because sure. I don't have to figure out difficulties. I don't have to figure out like a lot of that stuff. I just have to wait till the players hit a move, roll it and play out the move. If That's I'm doing this I in Cortex, right? If yeah. I'm doing this in Cortex, I need a little bit more stuff, right? So let's talk about the five to six area on this dial, right? Sure. So let's talk about a mid improv, right? What would you do here? Um, with this is you would actually like have like a little section in your notes that has like, um, you know, I might call it like um, uh, discovering the cult, right? And then sure. I'll have like a couple bullet points, right? I'm not going to put, I have no solution. So I don't write any of that stuff down. Yeah, you know. I might write a couple suggestions like, oh, there's the weird man on the hill. Uh, there's the library. Um, they can go, you know, to the university, blah, blah, blah. I might just jot a few little things, but I'm going to leave it pretty light. And if I need a little mechanics, might I put it in there like, oh, this thing's, you know, in order to keep, you know, to keep this thing going, it, these questions are only difficulty 10. Like they should get these kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I would, that's what I would write up, right? I, I don't write the solutions and I just write down, you know, the question, a little detail for myself and a couple of mechanical things to help it go along. And that's my prep. Now, the cool part is um, a couple things, right? By taking this approach, um, we don't have to think about what the players are going to do to solve this problem. That's their problem. That is right? their problem. It <laughs> like, should be their problem. It, it, right. It's their problem. So <laughs> you don't have to prep that, um, which actually reduces what you have to prep. But it also reduces what you have to keep in your head when you're running the game. Yes. Because you do not have to know, like you do not have to listen to hear the characters pick the item the, the, the correct answer or correct answers, right? You do not need to know that. All you need to know is that once the players have come up with a reasonable explanation for how to discover this, how to engage the rules properly. Yeah, to right? help them discover it. Yeah, because at that point, there's no wrong answer 
to how they discover it, right? Yeah, I mean, unless it's just implausible and then you can just simply be like, yeah, that's... If they sit down in the middle of the road and, and, you know, just pray to the sky gods to feed which, the information directly into their brains, which when to that be is fair, not a thing when, when in that an is not a thing in your horror, game. Like it might still make sense. Right. Sure. But like you have to take the context into account. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Sometimes so, a fish whispers horrible things at you, even though it's dead. Brenda Wood Bay. Yeah. I mean, if their <laughs> answer is they take a bunch of rocks, throw it on the ground, they find the answer. You can be like, yeah, that's not going to work. Right. Or, or maybe it does. Or tell me why does it work, right? <laughs> yes. Like what's driving this? Yeah. Yeah. What price do you have to pay to make that work, right? Like, again, yeah. we could, what, we could do, do questions later. What deal do you later. have to make yeah. with what horrible being so that you We're are drifting. able to We're do drifting. that? Pull oh, I know. But in. the problem is we can come up with so many cool ways to make almost everything work. Ab- absolutely. That's okay. the point. <laughs> but here's the, so here's the thing, right? Yes. This type of prep is lighter than regular prep. Because you are leaning into the improv portions of the game. Your job is to set things up and then push it to the players and play off their ideas and then give them a little more information and let them keep going. Right. Eventually, they're going to discover who the cult is. Eventually, they're going to figure out where the cult is. Eventually, they're going to go try to get to it, encounter the monster. Yeah. And then encounter the cult. Yeah. Be surprised how like this thing will flow and it'll be fine. And you will have less prep and you will have less prep in your brain. Yeah, it means there's way less to remember yeah, your or cognitive even to write load, down. Right, your cognitive so load lower. drops. Yes. Yeah. Now, it drops in terms of recall. Yes. But it's going to go up in terms of processing. Yeah, increase in terms of on in the moment processing. So whether this is an effective GM style for you or not depends on where your skills lie and what you are willing to spend the time to get better at or so not get better at. Here's right? the question. If you are a computer, do you have lots of processor and not so much RAM, or mm-hmm. do you have lots of RAM and not so much processor? That will tell you where you should yeah. like dial this. <laughs> <Just in. laughs> okay. All right, now, now if you're going free form, right? If you're just going free form, where you like kick the body out, and you don't know what the hell's going to happen next. Um, obviously, that's far less prep. Um, but you are just now you are like in the nine ten range. And this is where your understanding of story skill, uh, story structures and um, genre are just going to be key because you're just going to that's all you're going to be laying down for this is I just need to pattern match like, you know, your your processor part goes processor. It's all processor now. Right. All processor. Exactly. Yes. Okay. cool. Cool. All right. Um. Why don't you kick off this next section? Because I'm definitely going to talk about this. I have a big, yeah, I, have I, a ch- I have a chunk of this I need to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I have less because we kind of already discussed what mine looks like, but it'll happen again. Anyway, so one of the things that you can do when you are living more in the mid range, kind of anywhere that's between probably like a a two and a, and a nine, right? If you're going to have something down on paper, prep wise one of the things to consider is um, designing and formatting that prep work to support maximum recall right which is super key for me personally as we have discussed before Um, so what we're kind of talking about 
is even though this, you know, this holds true for improv GMing, this is really kind of true for any sort of prepped GMing is, you know, creating a structure by which your notes um, that you're going to use to actually run the game are easy for you to recall, find things um, and functionally like give you the information that you want and need when you want and need that information, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that we're talking about this is because when you get to things like pre-published adventures, um, traditional page layouts, or even, you know, referring to rules, right? When we talk about traditional page layouts, whether they're single column or like two columns and paragraphs, and then with headers and chapters, um, that is a terrible way uh, to try to scan and find information during the game, right? It's a great way for publishing, for printing, and for reading material. It's it's not a very effective way to find material quickly back when you're trying to refer to something specific, right? So especially if you have recall issues like me, because I so, have to reread all of I mean, think, I mean, think about this, right? If you've ever done a presentation in school, um, especially if you're old uh, like me, the original ways to do presentations in schools was you could write your whole presentation on a piece of paper and read it. Yes. Or you could make note cards. Yes. Right. With with a few ideas. And what um what people will tell you for presentations, even today's PowerPoint presentations, is that um the sweet spot is you should be able to put a couple of things up on your slide, turn and look at it, and then start talking and telling your story. Right. Yeah. Um, it makes for a much um it makes for a much more organic and much more fluid kind of talk. Um so what we want to talk about here is there is a disconnect and I don't think anyone talks about this and hell, I'm not even sure I talked about it enough in never unprepared that. I mean, it's been a number of years. You I, could, I'm just going to, I'm going to say a thing right here yes. right now. And I apologize for doing it on air. There could be space for a second edition of never unprepared with what you've learned in the intervening time. Cause it's been a while now. Sure. Sure. Right? I'm just I saying. I have learned some stuff. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay. So carry on. <laughs> so you can and you should think about your prep, like the materials you're going to take to the table in terms of how you're going to use it when you are running the game, right? So this is where, like, just like you said before, right? Two column, two column printed text is great when you're printing, or reading, um, and it's, and right? reading like, right but that's not running no right and you're and listen the publisher is not going to make two versions of this for you unfortunately no right they're going to do the one that maximizes their um their cost you know minimizes their cost for product which is going to be this two column thing but i will say that that is not the most conducive and at least for me i can say with 100 percent accuracy that that format is not the most conducive for me in fact when i've used published adventures i have to do some weird shit to them um, if not just rewrite them in order for me to make them usable at the table yeah okay. that seems valid so yeah. let me talk about what my prep what what my prep looks like in order to understand what I'm talking about. I have a very specific way that I've kind of evolved my prep over the years. And I use one particular tool, but I can actually do this. And I have done this in other platforms, um, just not as easily because I'm so used to my actual tool, which is OneNote. Um, but I like my prep to be um, headers, bullet lists, tables, and sidebars. 
I don't write paragraphs. Um, I don't like write. I don't write anything more than two sentences in a bullet. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what I mean by this is first I do everything in headers and I use the different levels of headers, like header one, header two, header three, um, so that I can group my um, prep into like major sections and then subsections like and subsections of those so that when I am playing the game and I need to find a thing like when they board the space station, I just have to scroll through until I see the header that says space station. Yes. Right. And boom, and I'm at a, space station. A subheader that says boarding. Yeah. Right? Boarding space station, <laughs> looking for clues, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then the text I have is all bulleted lists. Everything is a bulleted list with indentations, right? And the idea for this is that, at least for me, it is easier as, as I'm talking, our notes are in bulleted lists. Our notes are lists. literally formatted like this, yes. <laughs> yes. Carry on. It, <laughs> it is easier for me to read lot, like these short lines that each line is a thought and if a thought and if the next line is connected, it's indented, mm -hmm. right? So that I can see the thought and then I can see underneath it the other like supporting thoughts or uh, items for a list or whatever, right? And I use that to be able to, um, while I'm playing, I can just glance at my material, read through a few bullets, right? Because it's not wrapping, it's not, you know, going over pages, whatever, like bullet, 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 bullet and, and use it. Right. Get it, you know, get it going. Yeah. Next, I use tables to organize complex data into things that are predictable. Stat blocks. Yeah. Always. Checks. Yes. Um, like my cortex checks. I have a specific table I use that says like, this is the difficulty. These are the distinctions. This is what failure looks like. Success looks like heroic success looks like. And here's some suggestions on what to do with hitches when somebody rolls a one things that I would might have to improv that I might get hung up on. I have just put them into this table, but when I'm running the game and somebody, and like, you know, the players are like, Oh, we're going to open the airlock. And I go to space station, boarding space station. And then there's airlock. a table, yeah. right? The airlock. airlock. Table. <laughs> yes. And I know that the second, you know, I know the second line of it is the difficulty. Like, boom, my eyes jump to it. I know which dice to grab and I go. Right. Yeah. And then lastly, um, I use sidebars. Now, sidebars are for information that I might need. Like they could be snippets of rules. They could be extra descriptions. But sidebars go off to the side as not to, to jam up the main information. But I know that if I need a little extra information, my eye just moves over to the right and there's a sidebar. Like, yeah. oh, don't remember the DC for swimming in armor? No problem. Right sidebar. there. Because <laughs> they decided to swim to solve this question. Correct. Which you couldn't necessarily predict, but you thought maybe it's a possibility. Sure. Or maybe yeah. they didn't fall off the bridge and now I don't need that piece. So it's not in yep. my main notes and yes. I can just keep going. Yes. Okay. And cool. then, like I said before, I use OneNote for this and I have a number of reasons for it, but I really like OneNote because it does all of these things um, that I mentioned about headers, bullet lists, tables, and sidebars. Um, it also has um, tabs, pages, and subpages, so I can actually organize my notes even further. And the other reason I really like it, it's available on literally every device I own, browser, uh, desktop app, on my phone, on my tablet. They all sync to the cloud and they all have offline. 
So like if I'm going to a convention, I can prep all my stuff in OneNote. I can refresh it in my hotel room when I'm on Wi-Fi. And if I get to the table and my tablet doesn't have Wi-Fi, my notes are still there. Yes. It's a no problem. Okay. It's a lot of me preaching about this, but, but here's my point to it. Everything, and I didn't do this intentionally. It's been an evolved system. Everything about my prep is designed for table play. Yeah. Like when people, if you join the Patreon, when people eventually get the notes for um, the session, like the session prep for Children of the Shroud, I'm going to tell you that there's no fucking paragraphs in it, right? Like, <laughs> not a it's one. Just it all looks like this, and if you were hoping to kind of read through it and see what, like, that's not what you're going to find. What you're going to find is a whole bunch of bulleted lists. That is shit that I need to like pull into my head while I'm playing. Yeah, cool. I take a breath. You take a breath. Okay, Go I'm gonna. I'll take over for a minute here. So. Um, since my primary challenge in GMing is recall, um, my focus on table aids and prep is usually actually on the rules themselves, because that's the part that you don't really want to be improvising at the table, right? Like it's, it's totally fine to make a rules call that makes sense for the game, right? That you can extrapolate from the rules that you're like, okay, well, that probably is close to right. I I don't have a problem doing that. Um, But what I don't want to be doing at the table is flipping through books, trying to find the answer to how something works, right? So much of my prep is focused on how do I make sure that I don't have to do that? So even a game that I have run a lot of times at conventions, um, One Last Job, right? Um, It's not a very long game. It's not a very uh, rules-heavy game. Um, It is definitely built to um, improvise its way through many, many things. I don't have to actually prep anything in particular about this game, but the first, um, after the first time or two that I ran it, I did sit down and create a very specific cheat sheet for me at conventions that just has basically the rules as a bulleted list, kind of the way that Phil does his actual um, plot prep, right? So that I know as a GM what we're looking at, which parts we're doing, and which things I can engage that are different than the player rules, right? Like raising the alarm, which is otherwise the kind of thing that I would forget, mid-play or be anxious about remembering how it worked and be trying to look it up while someone was doing something else and miss parts or, you know, whatever. Um, So a lot of my focus is on making sure that I have enough of the rules in front of me in such a way that I am not slowing down the game when I need to remember something that comes up a lot. Or in many cases for me, like the entirety of the rules on one page, right? In in the send a version. So 100% next week when we talk about uh, anxiety stuff. Yeah. Um, this is what I would refer to as the dead air. Um, yeah, I hate, right? oh is, God, it's the right. worst. I, I hate mean, it when I do that. I'm like, oh, and, it's making me anxious. <laughs> and I have training in radio, so I am always terrified of dead air. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But yes, I also, um, with the other stuff I have on my table, also include cheat sheets and things like that for the exact same reasons. Yeah. But like, but it's interesting because I think a large part of my prep is basically making it so that I will have rules recall at the table without having to carry it all around in my head, right? Anyway, 
that's the first part for me. Um, the second thing that is usually in my prep to guide me um, is the thematic prompt for the gamer session always goes format wise at the very, very top of my notes. So I'm usually working in a notebook, but I definitely also work on smaller pieces of paper as necessary, right? Whatever's to hand. But my favorite way is to just have a notebook that is my notebook that I use for all my gaming stuff. Um, and it's all combined in one place that has nothing to do with it, but it's true. Um, so what happens is at the very top of that page, I'm writing the prompt for that session. And that actually, whether or not I'm running a lasers and feelings, it, the prompt usually follows something along what that lasers and feelings default prompt is, which is someone wants to do a thing and what their goal is, right? So in my prompt, I'm saying, who, who's, who is the opposition? Um, what do they want to do and why? Because those are the three things that I need to know to be able to extrapolate the rest of the actions in the game um, from a reactive GM standpoint, right? That's the important thing for me. That's at the top of my page because underneath that is nothing, right? Um, underneath that is the stuff that... Um, I would like to say from from a from a GM perspective, what I'm doing is basically in game prep. I <laughs> when we say, OK, this is maybe a different conversation that we could get back to at a different time. Right. But when we say just in time prep, right, for some GMs, that means that you're not prepping the whole world before you start the campaign. It means you're only prepping where people are going to go explore things. And that makes sense because you don't need to prep everything. You don't know if they're going to go do it. For me, just in time prep means about 10 minutes from now, I'm going to want to need to know that. Um, and I haven't actually prepped until somebody just said something and I go, oh, I'm going to want that piece of information. We know my recall is bad. So now it's in my notes, right? And the reason that my notes end up frequently on paper, I can do it digitally, but I do actually prefer paper um, for this. Um, the reason that my notes are actually on paper is because for me, uh, the visual emphasis on how something is written and what happens around that um, is a large part of how that kind of moment of prep works for me. If something is not important, but I think I need to remember it, I'll just jot it down really fast like a normal human being. If something is really important and I want to make sure it comes back, it's probably going to be in bold, maybe calligraphy. It's going to have stars around it, some outlines. Like as I continue to run the game, it may continue to evolve more doodles that like emphasize it um, depending on what's going on. So for me, that is something that from a tactile um, perspective I prefer to do on paper. Absolutely, there's ways I can do it digitally and have done, right? But that's, that's Senda's note format. Senda's note format is at the top is the key information for the session. And then running down underneath that is both the recall moments of GM, um, you know, taking things down, but also like some serious just-in-time um, <laughs> scrum style did not make the decision until I had to make the decision um, prepping as we go. Right. That's me. <laughs> that's my notes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And again, you're going to want to tailor your notes to your needs. Um, but really just trying to um, really just trying to talk about this in a way to make it useful. Um, lastly, I'm just going to, you touched on it really quick that you like to use handwritten uh, material. I'll just briefly mention, 
I use either a tablet or a computer for um, recalling my notes. Um, I could potentially print them. I don't think OneNote actually prints as nicely as it um, as it is on screen. So I tend to use it on screens. Um, my uh, choice in the past has been my iPad, but I've actually upped my game a little with this um, portable monitor screen that I have now. It's like 15 inch portable monitor screen. It's like a little slicker than uh, just a tablet puts a little more information up on the screen. Um, but it makes, again, it's also a little bigger, so it's easier for me to see to recall. Okay. Yes, that also makes right. sense. I am looking at the time, so I want to pick up the pace. We have like three more topics. We're going to do them a little faster because they're not really specific about recall and anxiety. Um, so I'm just going to hit this next one pretty hard, and we're just going to go through it pretty quick. Um, the next thing you need for being a good improv GM is uh, assemble your improv toolkit. Now, again, if you're a 910, maybe you don't need anything, um, but maybe you do. And I like to have stuff. Um, when I improv, there are things I know I get hung up on. You're going to know when once you start doing it, things you're going to get hung up on. And again, this goes to that dead air anxiety. So rather than getting, um, rather than having dead air anxiety about some of these things, we're going to find tools that supplement these things, right? So we're going to look at online li generators, lists and tables, and cards. Um, so really quick, for instance, I suck at coming up with names. Mm -hmm. I'm just bad at it. If I have to come up with names, I don't like them, and I freeze, and I slow down, things like that. I have a name generator for every game I play, right? Depending on which game, like what the genre is, I have different um, name generators that I like, but I have one for every game I play. So when we're playing, I have it up. And if something like I need a name, I click, 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 and I have a name. Yeah, I am right? also really bad at names. So I also use those. And the other thing that I will have is if I am running a game that is less um, improv sort of supportive or pointed at that, whatever, however you want to say that, um, and I need s oppositional stats, that's something that I will prep, right? Like mm -hmm. I will have pre-created, um, you know, a, a level one, a level three, a level five block of um, difficulty stats that I will then skin in any way that I need to at the moment, or I'll use somebody's pre-generated or I'll steal it from a different monster, you know, whatever, but I'll just have stat blocks on hand so that I can just grab one. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Now, look, there are a lot of tools out there. There are many online that are going to be free. You can check those out. There are many on drive through RPG that do not cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, in fact, I will plug one of my own, which costs a little money because it's pretty big, which is Masks 1000 uh, NPCs. They are um, without stats. They are system neutral, but they come in a variety of genres. And they also have a name list. Also handy. Built into yeah. the book. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, go to DriveThruRPG. You can just search around. You will find all sorts of um, tables and like, you know, lists and things like that. Drive-through cards will have cards um, for different things, all of those things. So, you know, dig around there, find tools that will supplement stuff. If you are a little um, technologically inclined, there's a, a website called Perchance, perchance.org. Um, which has its own like little language that lets you program your own generators. And it's pretty fancy. Like 
it's not just like, oh, pick a thing from this list of text things. Like you can get really like when you get into it, there's like a bunch of options about it. Like it can you can program it to be smart and make like multiple picks, but not pick the same thing twice. And like it's got it, it's cool. It's got a nice tutorial. We've met I've messed around with it a little. Um, if I had more time, it's the kind of thing I would I would do like a little deeper dive on. But it's pretty neat. But perchance is a way to make your own generators um, so you can make, you know, like what's in the Kender pocket you know kind of thing or dangerous you know, well if you were playing a kender right you could make your own I mean, table if, and as if you were playing a kender no, and then saying, somebody was like i shake the kender upside down you could be like awesome here's what falls out exactly right you could just put <laughs> items in there and then just be like oh i reach in my bag and i pull out, out and a? then yes okay cool all right the idea is here Right. Um, the idea, and this is a very, this is very simple, right? There are going to be things that uh, in terms of improv, you are going to be better or worse at. And to alleviate the um, chance that you're going to freeze up or the chance that um, you're just not going to like the thing that you come up with, uh, you're going to fill that in with a tool, right? You're going to fill that in with an item that's going to help you out. And by doing that, you're going to make that part of your improv smoother because you're just, you're going to kick it to the tool that you found. Yeah. So the other thing that you can do, um, and is something that I know you and I both love to do is you can also source your table. So when you yourself are either drawing a blank or are concerned that you may draw a blank, then you can ask the table to fill that in for you. So Ah, it's good. Or even if you're like, Oof, I have an idea, but I think it's a little weak and I wish there was something stronger. Don't don't grind your gears on it. Ask basically ask your table for help. Right. So if you are um, in a situation where, for example, your players are asking you, oh, goodness, your players are asking you um, if there's something suspicious about the librarian and you want there to be something suspicious about the librarian, but you didn't plan this scene because you didn't know they were going to the library, right? And you're like, I don't know, what would be cool? So you might say to them, oh yeah, they look completely normal, but what do you see on their desk behind them that raises your suspicion? right? Now the players can tell you, you're not on the spot for this alone. This is a collaborative activity. You are also a player, right? So mm -hmm. there is at least one or two or three or four or maybe five more brains at the table that can help you out with this stuff if you get stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Farm them. Yeah. Put them to work. Put them to it's work. It's also fun. It's a fun, <laughs> it, it, it's a fun tool. Uh, it's a fun tool to use and, um, uh, it, it It is a tool, right? Like you just know to source your table, like yeah. put them to work. All right. Last thing on this list of uh, items is uh, practicing alone, right? So one of those things that Axel mentioned was like making sure that like your descriptions and your dialogue and things like that sound good. So no one's good at that. Um, even the best actors rehearse, right? Yeah. So you should also um, get into the habit of rehearsing. I often will play out parts of my game in my head. I, I will tell you it happens a lot when I'm showering because I'm cut off from the rest of the world, right? It's good thinking time, right? Yeah. yeah, it's really solid thinking time. So I will be like in the shower and I'll be thinking to myself, okay, like the scene's coming up and I'll be like, oh, let me try that. Like, and I'll just say that piece of dialogue out loud or in my head, whatever. But I'll do that so that I can just be like, Okay, how did that sound? Did it look, you know, did that sound good? Was it, um, 
Did it hit the right way? Was it impactful? I might um, just sit around and think about a description like, oh, what does this place look like? What do I think it looks like, right? Like, you know, what what are the tropes or conventions of this genre? What would it look like? And then, you know, I might just kind of close my eyes for a second and picture it and then try to describe it to myself. But absolutely practice. Um, it will help. Like it will totally help. And it's okay to practice in an improv way. I, for instance, in my upcoming Ox game, I have the idea for this line. And I don't know if it'll come up or not in the game, but I came up with it while I was in the shower one day. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I'm going to put it in my prep as a bullet. Um, if an opportunity presents itself where I can use this line, I'm definitely going to use it. And if not, then it's just like stuff I didn't use in my prep, like like anything else. But um, it's okay to like work some of those things out when you're by yourself, do it while you're driving, taking a jog, shower, whatever, um, spend a few moments and do that little bit of rehearsal. It will help when you actually get to game day. Or do it with your GM muse. Cause it's always nice to have a buddy who's not directly playing the game that you can bounce things off of, say things to, or experiment with descriptions on, <laughs> right? Then you can get yes. feedback. If you're interested in feedback and that's not further anxiety inducing, then you can totally use someone like that. By the way, go to Gnome Stew, um, August 9th, 2013, Holy the GM Confidant. cow. That was before you even met me. How did you write that? <laughs> I am, I am me, right? Like, what can I say? Like, I am old and know lots of, know lots of things about GMing. But yes, I, the GM Confidant is a great um, tool. Look it up. And if you're curious about it and don't want to look it up or want to hear us talk about it, we'll tell you about how to do that in just a moment. It's true. Anyway, deep, deep breath. Woo. We have reached the end of this section. It is mighty and long. And we're going to uh, wrap up here because we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, next week, we're going to talk about the other half of Axel's question, which is improv and managing anxiety while improv, while doing any GMing. Yes. Yep. Cool. All right. Senda, in order for us to um, wrap this up, we have to talk about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Would you pick a show? I'm sure that you're going to do this in an improv manner. Would you pick a show? Absolutely and not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to just spill the beans here and tell you all that I prepped this. Right. I definitely wrote it down <laughs> with with bold and a bullet point. Um, anyway, yes, you could also hear, speaking of Gnome Stew, you could hear several gnomes from Gnome Stew getting together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown into the stew. Now, I am a little bit confused because for a while there, we lost the stew pot that had the escape hatch in the bottom. Then I believe we found it but I don't know which one we are now using. So I, I can't tell you how permanent being tossed in the stew is or isn't at this exact moment. It's fair. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Thank you. Say, um, Senda, much like Axel, how do people find us on the internet? Oh my goodness. You can go to misdirectedmark.com slash panda and that will have a list of all of the different social media places that you can find us as well as our email address um, so that you can drop us a note in whatever way is most convenient or most comfortable for you and phil once they have looked at that page and found what their favorite way is to communicate with us what can they do with that information hell yeah just like axel did ask us a question a topic an idea something 
that is causing you to have less fun at the table. Um, maybe you just need some tips. Maybe you need for us to break it down. Maybe you just want to hear our experiences about it um, to gain some inspiration. Whatever that is, um, we want you to tell us about it so that we can um, put all of our vast knowledge together. Now, we've got like 40 plus years of GMing experience and playing games. We have like over 10 years of uh, giving advice in the area of GMing. Mm -hmm. We've made a shitload of podcasts together and separately. Yes. And um, <laughs> and so we, we got some information here. We have some experiences and we want to share them with you. So if um, you would ask us a question or a topic or whatever, we'll put all that to work for you uh, in order for you to have more better fun at your games. And, you know, this goes to just like Axel's um, uh, topic for today, like their, uh, their message. We want you to be more relaxed when you, before your game, we want you to be relaxed and having fun when you play. And we want you to be charged up when the game is over. Yes. And in order to do that, we want to help you get through whatever barriers is preventing that. So send us some messages. We'll get to work for you. If you like what we do here on the Misdirected Mark Network or elsewhere, you can consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You're going to get access to our Slack Room for Life. It's a lovely little community of people where we talk about all sorts of things, um, post funny memes, talk about role-playing games, vent, share life experiences, all of those things. You can hang out with us on the Friday calls. We sometimes talk about RPG stuff. Sometimes we just talk about life stuff. Um there's a lot of friends and we just like to share like what's going on in our lives. Um, at the higher levels of our Patreon, you can get access to materials that we use for our AP series on the Misdirected Mark MM Plays. That's currently Children of the Shroud. And I think at the, there's another tier where you can get access to our development stuff, which is games that we are currently developing. Uh, I know Chris has got some stuff in there. We will have some stuff in there at, at yep, some point sure as will. we are working away on the Turning Point manuscript. So all yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, will eventually trickle its way into that um, top-level Patreon tier. So um, please consider supporting. If you are supporting us, thank you very much. You're keeping our lights on, making it possible for us to do the things we do. If you're unable to support us, we still appreciate you dearly. And there's a little thing you can do that involves a little bit of your time, helps us immensely. Senda, what is that thing? Yeah, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, or you can just let a friend know. So if there's someone who's looking for this kind of advice or information in a game agnostic kind of way, point them at us. Here we are. We really appreciate it when you spread the word um, and it makes us feel very warm and fuzzy inside. I think probably most of you have found us in some way like this or from one of our other shows. Um, so, you know. That's how that's how we get out there. Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. So thank you very much, because, again, we appreciate you all uh, immensely. All right. Say, Senda, um, I'm feeling a little anxious about how long it took us to get through this Ooh. topic. Yeah. Are, you, are you anxious as well? Uh, we'll come down from it. We're going to go do a bamboo lounge. There we go. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
Watch me now. Okay. I'm doing Wooly Bully. Good. I don't know that one. You don't know the song Wooly Bully? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I mean, maybe if you played it, I would know it. I don't know it by name. I mean, literally, it's in the name Wooly Bully. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, Wooly Bully? 1965? 1965. Music persisted after the year it was created. I just like. I'm just saying, I don't know. I certainly don't know many oldies by name. No, it's fair. It's fair. I mean. And I may have probably heard it if you played it. I would be like, oh, yeah, this song. But if it wasn't the Beatles or the Beach Boys. I probably don't know it by name and an all artist right. from that era. That's fine. Hey, Ryan, do you know Wooly Bully? <laughs> Just asking. Yes, I am very familiar with the song. However, I also probably wouldn't recognize it by its name normally. Bloop. All right. <laughs> Just clear that up. Uh-huh. Very good. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Good. All right, anyway. Mm. Uh, anyway, we're going to record a show. Yep. And uh, then Hi, we'll Ryan. talk about some stuff. Hi, Ryan. Hope you're hope you're having a nice weekend. As you speed through us at like you know. Wait, wait. I should say it in my normal voice. So Ryan hears it in my normal voice. Ready? Right. Hi, <laughs> Ryan. I think they're only doing it at like three times speed. <laughs> that should come out sounding pretty normal for pretty Ryan. Pretty normal, actually. Yeah. 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 Good. <laughs> All right. You ready to line up? Yes. All right. Bloop. I feel like you saying hi, Ryan, is kind of like Dory being like, hello, well. I mean, kind of. <laughs> I mean, Ryan edits us at like at increased speed, so I just slowed it down so that Ryan would hear it properly. It's pretty funny. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we'll have Ryan. to wait that to hear back on how well you accomplished. Oh yeah, it. I'm excited. Let's see if it worked or not. Yes. Bloop. This is for Phil and Senda, four times speed. Hi, Ryan. Bloop. All right, you ready? Yes, I'm getting my wiggles out. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Yank. Ack. Okay, everything is caught. Okay, I'm good. Bloop. This is what I get for recording in my pajamas in a bathrobe. Like, now you all know. I, I mean, might sound what you professional. Get for sleeping all morning, but like. I'm sleeping all morning? Like, sleeping till a normal time on my time zone. Are you I ready? mean, yes. Okay, we can fight about it later. <laughs> Bloop. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got.